All right, well, let's stand up, let's pray, let's get right into the Word of God here this morning. Father, I thank you for this wonderful Word, this Word of life. It gives life, it gives health, healing, it brings financial provision. All of our needs are met through your Word. We thank you, Father. As I come to teach her today, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I am trusting in you. And therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. I thank you now that your word will go forth today, carried by your anointing power and love, to each person's mind, bringing understanding, removing all confusion. To every heart under the sound of my voice, Father, that your word will bring faith and remove all fear. And nothing will hinder this meeting in Jesus' name. And we give you all the glory for all that's accomplished here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're talking about the struggle in the life of Jonah. Now we all know that Jonah was swallowed by a great whale. Huge, big fish. And that was a major problem. Amen. But that wasn't the reason. I mean, we're talking about the reason. The reason Jonah was swallowed by a whale is a problem too. Because if that problem didn't exist, he wouldn't have been swallowed by a whale. Right? So let's talk about the reason he got swallowed by a whale. That's the problem we're going to talk about here this morning. So God told Jonah to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Because the Ninevites, the, that's the Syrians, were the enemy of the Jews, Jonah did not want to go and preach to them. They were wicked, and they did terrible things in the sight of God. They were evil and violent. They were idol worshippers. It was a prostitute city, and they practiced black magic, witchcraft, and spiritualism. They burnt their children as sacrifices to Satan. They also blinded some of their other children. They also cut off the feet of some of their children. They cut off their noses, and some of them cut off their ears. These are the things that God hated about the people at Nineveh. Jonah knew that if he went to preach to them, they would repent, and God would forgive them, and God would spare them. And Jonah did not want them to be spared. He, God, he wanted God to judge them and destroy them. So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he got into a boat that was going in the opposite direction. <laughs> and a great storm suddenly arose. The sailors called upon their gods for help. Eventually, they realized that Jonah was the problem. He told the sailors that he was running away from God. And Jonah also told them that if they threw him overboard, that the storm would stop because he was the problem. And so they threw Jonah overboard. And the storm stopped immediately. And God arranged for another form of transport a giant whale. And the giant whale swallowed Jonah. And inside the belly of the whale, in the darkness, 
standing among the half-digested creatures which the whale had eaten with all of the acid and the terrible smell and odor, Jonah came to his senses and repented. I guess so. That would be a good time. That would be a good time. Jonah agreed then to go and preach to Nineveh. Good idea, Jonah. He asked God to rescue him from the fish. Please, God, get me out of this mess. Amen? And if you'll deliver me from this, I'll go preach to the Ninevites. And then he, he believed that God heard his prayer, that God had answered his prayer. And so he began to call those things that be not as though they were, Romans 4.17. God calls those things that be not as though they were. So he said, praise God, I am delivered from this fish. And praise God for three days and nights because he believed he was free from that fish. Then, before I continue with that story, some folks think, well, this is just a fable. But you know, others were also swallowed by great whales. Did you know that? Jonah wasn't the only one. Several others were swallowed. I'm going to give you two. James Bart was thought to have drowned at sea some 200 miles east of the Falkland Islands in 1891, a 100-foot-long giant whale with a mouth 12 feet wide swallowed him whole And while they were fishing for whales. Now, that's big enough to swallow a whole horse, just to give you an idea. So they're fishing for whales, and this whale swallowed this man. I don't think that's a good way to go fishing. And the rest of the crew thought that he had drowned in the struggle with this whale and didn't realize he was swallowed by the whale. And so they eventually harpooned the whale and dragged it to shore. Fifteen hours later, they were cutting the whale open when they found James Bart in the stomach of that whale unconscious. They were surprised, couldn't believe he was there. And a doctor was present from the crew and happened to be there and revived him. And uh, to find out that he'd lost every hair on his entire body, his skin was bleached unnaturally white and it stayed that way his whole life. And he was blind for the rest of his life. Another one is Michael Packard, age 57. He was diving for crayfish at the bottom of the ocean at Cape Cod in 2021. That's just two years ago. He was sawed by a giant humpback whale, probably irritated by the tank on him and all the equipment that divers use. So this whale got agitated and spat him out after a few minutes of having him inside of his stomach. And the video of his testimony is available to see on social media. You can just look up Michael Packard. And the person that witnessed this was also on that video testifying. Now, he believed God heard his prayer. I'm going back to Jonah now. So he believed God heard his prayer, and he began to praise God for answering his prayer. Three days later, the fish spat him out on the shores of Nineveh. So I guess when the Ninevites 
on this beautiful sunny day, saw the whale come up and Jonah step out. They were about to believe anything he said, right? <laughs> I've come from God. We believe it. <laughs> okay. What's God telling us? So he preached them and they all repented. It was one of the greatest revivals in human history. And the entire city got saved. Now, that city was very big, almost as big as San Antonio in population. I'm going to share with you just some of the little experiences I had in my early years of being a Christian when I first got saved. Um, so I used to, my routine would be to wake up at about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning and then I'd go surfing for five, six hours. How I did that, I don't know. But I didn't used to come out for water, nothing, no food, nothing, just surf for that long. I don't know how I did it, but I did in my early 20s or my 20s. And then from there, I'd go to the karate club and go work out for two hours very hard and aggressively. I did that six days a week for about eight years. Anyway, then I, um, from there, I went to one of my nightclubs and danced the night away, and, you know. I was the DJ, believe it or not. And uh, so I had three nightclubs and hotels, and I had some mobile discos as well. And I'm going to show you my bus that I had. I spoke about it a few times. That's my bus. That's me over there. I had these flowers all over. I painted this red with a spray can, a whole bunch of spray cans. I used them up. Put all these big, I put big ones, a small one. That's a small one. Flower, and then in the back I wrote Theo's Disco. <laughs> in white. Put tape on it and spread it in white. Now then, you, I'll show you a picture of me running my disco. That's me running my disco. <laughs> my Davy Crockett outfit, right? No kidding, I got that from the Davy Crockett movie. That idea. Anyway, that's enough of that. So, just to show you, I did actually do it, right? I wasn't singing, I was miming to the songs and dancing along with the music. Anyway, so I got radically saved in 1971, September 12th. Radically saved. So I was actually the karate champion for three years of South Africa. And um, I got to know a lot of sports people, a lot of surfers and um, entertainers because I was in that that world. And um, when I got saved, I led a lot of folks to the Lord. The first six weeks of my salvation, I brought 200 people to Jesus personally in that van, and they got saved, every one of them. And when I got baptized, we lined up shoulder to shoulder across the church twice, and we all got baptized the same night. So I've got a lot of stories I can tell you about that and how I did all that. So I'll give you one example of how I got people to church. So when there was no surf, I, I took that little bus down to the beach where we usually surfed. North Beach, Cuban Hat uh, restaurant on the beach there. 
a drive-in restaurant. And um, so I, I used to park right there. If the surf was good, we'd all surf. If the surf wasn't good, we'd just hang around. And I'd pull out of my disc, out of my van, two big loudspeakers about that high, with massive big loudspeakers in the boxes. Put them on the roof and play music. See, Grand Funk Railroad, yeah. uh, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones, um, and um, so we used to play all this music. So. And the people would come around and just talk and hang out. Well, there's no waves are waiting for the surf to change, the wind to change. So, now when I got saved, see, I pulled up the bus, put out the music, played all that stuff, and everybody came around. And then I took it off and I put on Jimmy Swaggart at the old rugged cross. Okay, and I, I know when I stood out, I stood out in front of them, because they're looking at the sea, and I stood out in front of them, looking back at them, and they're looking at me like, "What happened to you? What are you doing with our music at the old rugged cross?" What? And I began to tell them about Jesus, and invite them to church, and a lot of them came. They got saved. So then, of course, I did many different ways. I brought them to church. I'd con them, for example. You know what that word means? I tricked them. For example, Graham Patterson. Now, I've been saved about three weeks. I got saved, as I said, September 12, 1971. And I was 23 years old at the time, 23 and six months. So, um, one of my surfing friends, Graham Patterson, um, they all thought, my close friends, they thought I'd lost my mind the ones that hadn't wanted Jesus yet. And uh, so I went to knock on his door. Now, he and my brother were renting an apartment together. So I knocked on the door. My brother said to me, listen, I don't know about Jesus, okay? He was a very intelligent person. Very, he came first in Italian University. He went to London as a diplomat. And he did a course there. It took three years. He did it in six months and got a, a distinction the last six months. They said, you can't join. It's a three-year course. You can't join. He said, I'll, get, I'll pass. Don't worry. And he got a distinction. So anyway, this, he's very clever. So he comes to me and says, listen, I don't want any of this Jesus stuff. I don't need that. He's three years younger than me. So I said, okay, don't worry about it. So then he, his, his friend, our friend Graham, is living with him. So I came knocking on the door. Graham comes to the door. I said, Graham, I'm off to church. Oh, he says. Now this, I've been saved three weeks. So he says to me, I said to him, Graham, do you really think I've lost my mind? So now, normally he would never say anything like that. But he said, do you want me to tell you truthfully? I said, yes. He said, I think you've lost your mind. <laughs> I said, do you want to help me, Graham? He said, I'd like to help you. I said, well, look, I'll tell you what. Come to church with me tonight. And if... You think it's all crazy, and I'm part of a cult or something, then, and you tell me, I won't go back. Now, I said that, and I meant it, but I knew he'd get saved. I knew that I knew that I knew. 
So I loaded him in my combi with all the other guys. Every time I went, it was loaded down with people. So he came with us, and we went straight to the front of the church, sat him down, showed him where to sit, front row. I didn't want them to escape. <laughs> and, and the pastor preached a fiery sermon on salvation. Every Sunday night he'd have a salvation meeting. And he preached, and Graham went straight to the altar, got saved. Praise God. Then my brother came to see me. He was mad as a snake. What have you done to Graham? You, you don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Don't you ever try that on me. Well, I'll tell you how I got him next time, but I did get him. I did get him. Anyway, then um, about six months went by, and I uh, decided to uh, organize something called the Jesus Revival Group. And I invited a bunch of people that I knew, entertainers, karate people, sports people, and surfers, uh, who were well-known and famous. Uh, some of them played in our national teams. And uh, they loved the Lord. So I got their pictures and put them on a big poster. And I wrote, Jesus Revival, at, and I put the name of the city hall. And I hired different city halls all over the country. And uh, then I invited these people to come with me to give their testimony at these meetings. And I would introduce each one, and then at the end I'd give my testimony and give an altar call. And so, amazingly enough, people came out to these hall, city halls. We had between, depending on how big it was, we had a thousand, maybe two thousand people come, young people. And they all gave their life to Jesus every time. Everyone gave their life to Jesus. And I did that for about two years, traveled all over South Africa, and had these Jesus Revival meetings. Praise the Lord. Now, one interesting situation was I had a friend called Michael Henry. In, um, he lived in Chatsworth, which is an Indian city. Now, back in those early years, people had to live in different cities, right? Now, of course, that's gone now. You can live anywhere. And um, so Michael Henry had a big tent, and he was an evangelist, fiery preacher. So um, I would go and see him periodically, and I went to hear him preach. And then after the meeting was over, we were in his caravan, and we were eating curry and rice together, just him, him and me. And um, then there was a knock on the door. And it was his only security guard. And he said, we have a problem. There's about a dozen guys out there with knives. They're going to cut the ropes and drop your tent. Because they don't want you to preach the gospel in this area. You need to come quickly. So when we came outside, they were standing right outside the caravan. So um, I took my shoes off, actually, jumped on top of the car, his car, and I said, come over here, stand around me. And I said, now, who's going to be the first? Come right now and take me. I said, otherwise, leave. I did that. God is my witness. I was crazy as a march here. But anyway, 
And that's what I did. I was crazy. That person's gone. I've changed totally. Anyway, now let's get back to Jesus. Jesus used tact in his witnessing, right? Tact is saying the right thing at the right time, the right way. That's what tact is. Isaac Newton said, Isaac Newton said, uh, he defined tact as, tact as follows. The ability to make a point without making an enemy. The ability to make a point without making an enemy. That's a very powerful quote, I thought. Now let me remind you of something Jesus said to the woman at the well, which we learned about last time. So Jesus could have said this to the woman at the well, right? He could have said, hey woman, you are immoral. I am the Messiah. And I'm here to tell you that you're, that you're going to hell because you are a sinner. He could have said that, right? Would have been true. All of it absolutely true. But he would have destroyed the opportunity he had to reach her with salvation. Correct? Correct. So how did Jesus do it? Well, firstly, he engaged her in conversation. He said, excuse me, may I have a drink of water? Right? Right? Secondly, he spoke to her in terms and in language that she understood. Now, some Christians confuse the people that they're trying to talk to about the Lord by talking to them with Christianese, right? Christianese is our own language that we have among us, which the unchurched folks don't understand. They don't understand it. For example... We could walk up to somebody who's not a Christian, who's not a churchgoer, to witness them, and we could say, are you washed in the blood? <laughs> now that's Christianese, right? And they'll look at you like a cow in your gate, or like, what planet do you come from? Right? Are you washed in the blood? Or we could say, are you justified and sanctified? That would be a nice opening statement to an unsaved person. Or you could say, are you part of the body? Now that would all be Christianese, and again, they wouldn't know what on earth you're talking about, right? So we've got to be, we've got to be clear about that. Don't use church language. Talk to them in terms they understand everyday language. Always listen to your heart when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is waiting to guide you. And He will. We must be aware of the lost people around us. So we can recognize the opportunity to share the gospel when those opportunities arrive. And let's give aftercare when we witness to folks. In other words... Remember, we are called to make disciples, not converts. Now, it's great to witness to somebody because the sower gets rewarded and the reaper gets rewarded. But our goal is always to bring folks to Christ and bring them to church or bring them to church to get saved. And that's what I did. I either won them to Christ and then brought them or I 
brought them to church and they got saved. Mostly I brought them to church and they got saved. Which means we are commanded to bring them to church as well, to make a disciple. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of Christ coming back again is drawing near. Warn each other to attend church, especially now that he's returning. In other words, it's important to be a churchgoer when the time of the rapture happens. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. Maybe we're not going to go if we're not a churchgoer. If we're not on fire for Jesus, we're not going in the rapture. That's what that's telling us. Correct? It's awfully quiet, this Presbyterian church. Or do we still believe in the rapture? How do you believe in the rapture? Well, it's, yeah, it's coming soon. Amen. And I've got news for you. If you don't believe in it, you won't be going. See, we only receive what we have faith for. Right? If we don't believe in it, God's not going to give it to us. So if you don't believe in it, I recommend that you research it and you will believe in it. There is a rapture. I've taught on it. Many have. It's in the Bible. Okay. So we don't go to church once in a while, Easter, Christmas, and our funeral. We go, to, we go to church every week if we're a follower of Jesus. How can I claim to be a follower of Jesus if I don't go to church? Because all on fire Christians are in church. The five wise virgins are in church. Amen? The foolish virgins are not. Are you out there, family? And then, of course... When we come to church and gather, we need to bring those that we talk to Jesus about with us. If you win a soul to Christ and they say the salvation prayer, don't abandon them. Invite them to church or just invite them anyway. A mother has a baby and brings that child home, loves it, feeds it, educates it and all that. Of course, the father as well. The parents don't just put $10 down in the chest of that child and say, catch a cab home when you're ready. They bring that child home and love it. And we need to do that with our spiritual babies. Amen? Well, how can we not talk about this beautiful, burning love God has for us? How can we not? You know how much God loves you. And you, and you experience that love. How can we not talk about that and tell folks about that? They want to know. They, they're desperate to know. They don't realize it, but they are. Bind the devil over their thinking and tell them about Jesus. How have you experienced the love of God? We worshiped the Lord here this morning. Wasn't that amazing? So beautiful. The presence of the Lord was so rich. So when we experience that love, we must talk about it. Don't keep it a secret. Amen? And then invite people to come to church too so they can enjoy that love 
and walk in the Lord as well. Amen?